The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Uh, I, I was recently thinking about a, a book that came out by the name, with the title of Dangerous Calling. And it's a book that was written by uh, uh, Paul Tripp a number of years ago. The ironic thing about this book is he's, he's calling, uh, he, he's trying to bring attention to the pastor, pastors and ministers, uh, just calling a ministry and that is dangerous and it's hard. Um, but in this, uh, on the back of the book, there's four different people that provide reviews and unfortunately, three out of the four people on this book have had some kind of a either moral or character failure, and they're, they're the ones that are commenting and reviewing and endorsing this book. So when we think about this idea of dangerous calling, we, we, can, write, we can write books about it, but one's calling as a Christian is not dependent on their leadership positions, their intellect, their giftings, or their accomplishments. Their success is one is a disciple of Christ, is they're dependent upon the continual abiding of Jesus himself and an abiding that bears fruit of joy and love. And so we, we exist in a post-Christian world right now that is becoming hostile to Christian thought. And the Christian life is increasingly becoming a dangerous calling for each one of us individually. There's claims of a divine and exclusive God uh, who has provided specific parameters for living is a great threat to the world, and, and, and the world increasingly desires to live autonomous and independent lives from authority and power. And so, as we think about this world, this world allows for the individual to determine what is true, what is right for them, and for the Christian to question that or to assert otherwise actually is the greatest sin today. So in our cultural context, we, we need to think seriously about what it means to uh, consider the calling as a Christian, what it means to abide in Jesus. And, and we know that it's going to become socially more challenging uh, for the Christian to, you know, who maybe at one point could walk a line and consider himself a friend of Jesus and a friend of the world. Um, but we know that th those, those distinctions are not, uh, they're incompatible. Um, but the, the call to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus uh, has not changed. But the context and the landscape uh, in the American world around us has changed. So it's in this moment that we need to consider what it means to remain in Christ, though the earth, earth gives way and others stray. So let, let me pray for us to this end, that, that God would lead us in the opening of, of this passage before us. So let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning thankful that you have the words of eternal life. Thankful for this passage in John 15 where we can see some of the imagery that you've given to communicate something about yourself and our need for you. So God, would you meet us this morning and help us to see the danger that lurks all around, Lord, and, and the possibility that we can defect and, and walk away. But Lord, would you keep us from that? And Lord, show us what it means to abide, what it means to be connected to the true vine. So do these things in Jesus' name, amen. So prior to picking up in John 15, if you were to look back at chapter 13, 
This is where Jesus takes on the form of a servant and he washes his disciples' feet. Then he later reveals that Judas is going to betray him. And then after that, Peter confesses his willingness to follow Jesus and to lay down his life, only to be corrected by Jesus as he reveals that Peter will later deny him three times. Jesus then goes on to provide what is commonly known as the farewell discourse, in which he prepares the disciples for his soon-to-be absence. Um, and so we pick up in the second part of this discourse in, in verse, uh, chapter 15, 1 through 17, and Jesus gives instructions for how they're to remain, how they're to abide in him. So let's read the passage here. John 15, 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And the Father, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than, than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. That's the word of the Lord. So, in considering this passage, uh, I'm going to make three primary arguments. Um, I'll just go through them quickly here, and then I'll, you can, I'll detail them and write them down later if you want. But abiding in Jesus, the first is abiding in Jesus leads to flourishing and joy. Second is abiding in Jesus leads to obedience and the laying down of one's life. And the third, abiding in Jesus is, the only, is only possible through dependent prayer. So the first one we're going to consider this morning is abiding in Jesus leads to flourishing and joy. So in verses 1 through 8, the repetitive message and command for the disciples is that they are to abide in Jesus and bear fruit. So Jesus uses the imagery of a fruit vine, and it includes three, my, three primary parties. We have uh, the, the true vine, which is Jesus himself. We have the vine dresser, who is the father. And then we lastly have the branches, who are the disciples. So prior to addressing what it means to abide, I first want to consider the purpose and importance of a fruit-bearing plant. Uh, 
So what, what's the purpose of a fruit-bearing plant? Well, it's to bear healthy and plentiful fruit. The functional purpose of having a grapevine is so that you uh, can have grapes. Grapes to eat, and some of us like to drink them in another form. But, so a vine will bear healthy and plentiful fruit, and it's dependent uh, on a couple things. So first of all, for a healthy vine, it's going to be dependent on a good environment. So you think about if you plant a vine in the ground, the environment needs to have uh, plenty of water, healthy soil, uh, uh, access to sun, perhaps not too much sun. Um, so we see a good environment is, is important for a, a healthy vine. Secondly, we see that we need a good gardener. Someone who understands how plants grow, how to get them the resources that they need, how to care and maintain the plant through use of different structures, and for this, like a trellis would be used for grapevines. How to prune and maximize plant strength and abundance of fruit. So we see a need for a good environment and also a good gardener. Now, I've had some recent exposure. Um, most of us in, in COVID days have picked up a hobby we didn't intend to pick up. Um, just curious, like, who else has tried their hand in gardening this year? <laughs> this is my first year as gardening. Um, uh, my, my daydream is to become a farmer someday. Don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it's there. But with that, um, I planted a garden and my poor tomato plants this year. So I'll, I'll, I, I, plant, I, I tried to raise some, some seedlings. Uh, they all died, so I went and bought some plants from the store, put them in the ground. And then, uh, you know, working on secondhand knowledge from different people, I heard about this idea of a sucker. Has anybody heard of a sucker on a tomato plant? So a sucker is, is, is an unnecessary branch that you can cut off, cut off so that it helps bring growth and stability to the plant, and it puts it, the growth into the main core structure of the plant and then also puts the energy into the fruit. Well, in my uh, ignorance, I thought almost everything bearing a leaf was a, was a sucker. And so, you know, cut off, cut off all the leaves and only to realize that it's like, yeah, I think plants need leaves for photosynthesis, right? And so, so in this, this is an example of poor gardening, right? And, and you know, I like to think the environment in my backyard is good, but it's, it's not. So... So as we think about this idea of growing a plant, there's, a, there's great care that is involved for taking care and growing something like this. And, and God is a much better gardener than we are. So as men and women, we have been created in the image of God. And our growth is dependent upon us being in a good environment, which is proximity to the presence of God or his word. Um, and then secondly, our growth is dependent on our trust in a good gardener and that his ongoing uh, and trust in his ongoing care for us as he prunes and disciplines us. And so when we think about this idea of gardening and this idea of, of human flourishing as we uh, bear the image of God, if we, as we think about this in the context of Scripture, we, we automatically go back to the garden scene where God created man and woman and put them in a garden uh, in his presence. And he intended for them to flourish in his presence. And as you read those first two chapters, it's just this beautiful scene of an incredible garden that's flourishing. There's life, there's growth, there's health, there's happiness in the setting. And God put man and woman in that garden, and they're given numerous instructions to help them fulfill their purpose. 
in and throughout the earth. And so they, they were uh, to image God in some way as many rulers or many creators uh, under his authority and in his presence. And yes, uh, they are not the ones in authority or the ones that determine things and they're distinct from the creator, but they are operating at some level in his image. And they were intended to bear fruit as they lived in the presence of God. So this, this is what God hoped for, creating man in his image. Well, then we come to the fall, right? And disobedience reveals the heart, trust, love problem of man and woman, and they're cut off from the presence of God. They're cut off from true flourishing because they ate of the tree that God gave them clear instructions not to. Life after that becomes hard, and man and woman aren't able to flourish as image bearers in the way that God intended. So we fast forward a number of years, uh, and uh, many prophets speak uh, in the Old Testament. They, they speak of Israel, and they liken Israel to a vine. But the problem with Israel is that this vine doesn't produce fruit. So Isaiah and the Psalms and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea all, all have different imagery of a vine. But most often connected with that vine, as you see, is not bearing fruit. It's not growing the way that God intended it to. And so though God is at work and he's providing a law for his people in order that they can produce fruit and live under his, his structure for how life and blessing is to flow, Israel continues to depart from God. They're a vine that continues to remove itself from the source of life. They're incapable of bearing fruit and flourishing by themselves under the standard of the law. So everything is hopeless for Israel. That is until we get to John 15 here, that Jesus comes pronouncing himself as the true vine with the intention and power to restore mankind's purpose. And our purpose is to bear healthy and plentiful fruit. So in verse 4, Jesus gives the imperative. He says, abide in me and I in you. And then in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So in Jesus' claim to become the true, to be the true vine, we see that all of life, all of our nourishment comes through the vine itself. It comes through the vine to the branches, and he is the source of everything that we need. We, we are the branches, and, and branches are only good and fruitful as long as they are connected to the vine. And so he commands us there. It's one of the few imperatives. He says, abide. That's, that's a command. We need to listen to that and heed it. We are commanded to abide and see that Jesus is the source and the conduit of all life and for us to disconnect ourselves from him is to disconnect ourselves from life itself. So what does it mean to abide, to abide in the vine? This command to abide is a call, call to remain, remain and stay in Christ. To abide is to dwell, to make a home with Christ, and to not leave that home. The flip side of this is that uh, many will be tempted to look for life elsewhere and forget that Jesus is the only true vine. So as, as a quick side point, though Jesus, he reveals himself as the true vine, it also means that there are many other false vines claiming to provide life, claiming to bring us flourishing. 
And our problem is not that we struggle to abide in general, as we are constantly abiding in something, but the problem is that we fail to abide in the true life-giving vine. The only thing that can cause us to walk in the way that God intended as image bearers. And so our, our abiding becomes a shifting and unstable process where we go from thing to thing, trying to abide, trying to make it home, and it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't support. Going on in verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In saying this, he reminds them that they are clean because of the word spoken to them. And th this is a word of forgiveness, acceptance, and love. And in this word, this, this cleansing anticipates Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Because they have been made clean, there's not a question of their standing or their position before God, but rather uh, their remaining in him, their continual identification with him. Right? So, so the problem is, is that for his disciples, he's made them right. He's given the right position before him. But will they remain is the question. So if we consider the context just prior to this, we remember that Judas, he was among the disciples. But he did not remain a disciple. Judas thought that life could be found elsewhere. So, so much to the point that he handed over Jesus to be put to death and all for the gain of money, for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was not abiding. He was not bearing fruit. And he thus cut himself off from the source of life. The Bible warns us that many will fall away. Many who once thought they were of us, they will not remain of us. And we must be warned and sobered by this reality, drawing near to Christ so that we ask the question, you know, are we one of them? And I pray and hope that none of us wants that or desires that or else we wouldn't be here. So there's two possible ways to think about not abiding in, in two groups. Um, and I think that there's one group that Jesus is talking about, um, but one of them is that there are those who think that they're connected to the vine when in reality, maybe they're, they're not. So that, that's one group. And, and in this context, I think Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and, and there's a warning here for them to not stray, for them to draw closer and to abide in him. A second group is those who have never been connected to the vine at all, right? Because if you're not connected to the vine, how could you have life? And I, I don't think that's who Jesus is addressing here because he's talking directly to his disciples, um, though I think there is an application for this kind of person that we'll encounter later in the passage. So it's possible for people to be in and among the disciples, in and among the church, from an external point of view, but to not continue abiding in Christ. So as you look at this passage, there's, there's a conditional aspect of it. Notice uh, in verse 4, there's an unless in 6 and 7, 10, 14, there's an if. So there, there's a conditional nature here. And a little later, we're going to see that Jesus is sovereign over all things, even those who are, uh, will be appointed to go and bear fruit. Yet, we cannot deny that God's sovereignty always works through the human heart and its desires. So the ifs of this passage help us to see the importance of 
actively abiding or remaining in Christ. The conditional nature of this helps us see our need for dependence on Christ alone. But in this passage, there's a warning, and and warning passages are are helpful to us. They, They tell us, they point us to life in some way. And so in this warning passage, we see that in God's, on one hand, in God's divine will, he knows those who are his and those who will remain. But on the other hand, from the human perspective, we don't know, uh, we don't know who that is, and we're called to live by faith. From an earthly perspective, it can be incredibly hard to discern who is living by faith and who is externally conforming to certain standards that makes it look like they're living by faith. So the passage here is a call for us to abide, to remain in Christ, to know that there is a guarantee of life if we do so. And if we should choose to stray, there are real consequences here too. So the point is don't stray. Keep abiding. Keep returning to Christ. Remembering that he receives all who come to him with a humble and contrite heart no matter how many times they've messed up or wandered away, the command here is to abide in an ongoing manner. So why are we to abide? What, what makes this abiding possible? Well, we are to abide in Jesus because this is the purpose for which we've been created. To know him, to know his love, uh, and to flourish as branches connected to the vine the vine who is planted in the presence of God. So Jesus, the vine, has been planted by the gardener and is being cared for in order that his branches might bear fruit. The gardener prunes and he cares for the plant that it might be plentiful and flourish. And this is both for his glory and for our joy. So one aspect of loving care is is pruning. Right? So it's not loving care when I go and whack off every leafy brush on my tomato plant thinking that it's going to flourish. But God is way better than that. God, he is the vine dresser that knows how to prune. And what pruning is, is pruning is cutting away the dead or overgrown branches to increase fruitfulness and growth. So the Father is sovereignly at work to care for his people, to increase their joy and fruitfulness. And there are things that need to be pruned and cut away from our lives so that we can bear more fruit. So the question we need to ask of ourselves is this. What needs to be pruned in your life? What is keeping you from abiding completely in Christ? Is it money or wealth? Is it the vain pursuit of success and worldly recognition? Is it identity in a certain career field or being the perfect father or mother? Perhaps it's comfort and entertainment or mindless activities that dull your effectiveness and engagement with the world around you. For me, it was recently this stupid little game called Two Dots. It's a game where you connect dots and you make squares and you make all the other dots disappear. And for weeks, end of the day, I'd retreat to this game, play it, make squares, advance, feel good about myself while feeling terrible at the same time. <laughs> and, and in that, you know, this is a very small example, but this is our, this is our lives, isn't it? That this is something that needed to be pruned. <laughs> it needed to be deleted because that was my default. Just quickly go there, 
dulled, not engaged with my family, with the life around me, and, and pruning was needed there. So pruning, often there are small things in our lives that need it, but there's also big things too, so that, that's not to make light of that. But it's important that we remember God doesn't prune branches to hurt us or to keep, from living the good, keep us from living the good life. He prunes so that we might truly live the good life and that we might bear healthy and plentiful fruit. So what, what's the purpose and the importance of flourishing and bearing fruit? Why, why is this important for us to think about? We see that the abide, God's abiding love or abiding love leads us to God's glory and our joy. And so in verses 8 and 11, we see two, two aspects of, of what's the purpose, what's the importance of this, and it's glory and it's joy. So verse 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So abiding leads to fruit bearing and proof of discipleship. Not that it makes us a disciple, it just shows that we truly are a disciple. And we see that bearing fruit and flourishing as image bearers brings greater glory to God. And that's, that's the chief end that man has been created for, to bring glory to God. But where there's glory, joy is not far away. It's closely connected to this. Look at verse 11. Why does Jesus write these things or say these things? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus, perfectly abiding in the Father, he, in his own nature, is completely filled with joy. So does it not stand that our abiding in Jesus will complete or fulfill our joy as well, if he is full of the Father's joy? Continual abiding is the recognition that God loves us, He wants us to flourish and to bear fruit. He desires for us to abide in the love of Jesus so that his joy becomes our joy. And so that our joy might be full, might be complete, not lacking. So we are to abide not simply because we are commanded to. We abide because God loves us and he wants us to flourish. He wants us to flourish in him for both glory and joy. To abide in Jesus is to be reminded of his love for us and to abide in that love. And so just the first point that we want to make here is that abiding in Jesus, it leads to our flourishing and joy. So now let's consider the second point. Second point, abiding in Jesus leads to obedience and the laying down of one's life. Abiding in Jesus leads to obedience and the laying down of one's life. Look at verse 10. It says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. A major aspect of abiding in the love of Jesus is keeping his commandments. I want to argue that if we are unwilling to keep the commands of Scripture, it's a very good sign that we may not be abiding in Jesus at all. And in fact, that we are at risk of being cut off as an unproductive branch. So what do I mean by unwilling? Uh, By unwilling, I want to speak of the general character of our life and our desires. So on one hand, no single person besides Jesus is going to be constantly perfect 
and their willingness to always obey and keep the commandments. We have all had moments of hard-heartedness and will continue to have these moments of unwillingness in the future. That's something about our, our fleshly bodily existence right now. But on the other hand, do you as a Christian, do you have a desire, a willingness to keep any and every command found in Scripture? Jesus, he wants a whole heart with a wholehearted love. So that, that's the call that he puts there for us. And so do you hear his words here? He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the hard word in the sentence, just as. It appears that we must keep his commands in order to abide in his love, just as he kept the Father's commands and abides in the Father's love. Jesus perfectly abided in the Father and kept his commands, and it seems that we are being asked to do the same. Is this salvation by works? We keep the commands, and then we are included in the Father's love, just as Jesus has? No, I, I don't think so. And there, there's a chain here which is very important for us to see. So on the first level, we see that the Father loves Jesus. Jesus knows that the Father loves him, and as a sign of his trust and love for the Father, he keeps the Father's commandments and abides in his love. Right? So, so, uh, his obedience flows down from love. Similarly, uh, on the second level, think about this. Jesus loves his disciples. The disciples need to remember that Jesus loves them with unconditional love. He chose them, verse 16. And as a sign of their trust and love for Jesus, they are to keep his commandments and abide in his love. Here, it's love that drives obedience Obedience is a fruit of love and trust and a sign that a disciple is abiding in Jesus, not the other way around. True love precedes true obedience, and obedience comes from a purified heart, not a guilty heart trying to earn love. This is why we need to remember that Jesus loves his people with the same love that the Father has for him. Jesus has already pronounced his disciples clean. They are right, they are holy, they are pure before God. But now, because of that, they are to walk in that reality and grow in that reality. So Jesus is the model example of obedience and the standard of perfection laid out for all who are in him. So it's essential that Jesus is the vine here and not us. As the vine perfectly abides in the Father, it is a constant life source to the branches. Israel was spoken of as a vine in the Old Testament, but always as an imperfect vine, not bearing fruit. Jesus is the one who came to be the perfect vine so that the branches, the Christian and the church, that they might bear fruit. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon the branches but it's dependent upon the vine who is Jesus. So let us give praise to God that the vine will never fail and he remains a constant source of love that we as branches can return to and abide in.
So our call here is not to perfection, as if obedience alone causes us to abide in Jesus. Our call is to continually remain in Jesus and to come with him come to him with a humble yet wholehearted and willing dependence on his love as we keep his commands. So the next question that we need to ask, so what are his commands? What are we supposed to do? How do we keep them? Verse 12 uh, through 14, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus' commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. So if you turn your Bible several pages from here, Jesus is literally going to lay down his life for his friends. And this is going to be his love on full display for all to see. Jesus calls us to love one another in a similar manner by laying down our lives as well by walking that same path as him. It is in the nature of God to be selfless, to be loving. And the Father seeks to lift up and honor the Son. The Son seeks to glorify and please the Father. The Spirit works to illumine Christ. And mankind being created in the image of God, we're created no differently. We are also created to be selfless, of which Christ is our representative model. To abide in the vine is to uh, to abide in the vine. To abide in love is to have the fruit of love, looking beyond oneself. So, in this passage, uh, there's two dimensions of, of what it means to abide. So, the first one is we see that there's an individual call for us to all abide, and we see that God cuts off individual branches that don't abide or bear fruit. Right. So that, that, that pertains to the individual, and there's a responsibility for each of us to understand this calling to abide and to deal personally with God ourselves. But there's also a second dimension here, that there's a corporate responsibility to abide. Here across this passage where you see you, it's often a you all, meaning plural. He's talking to the disciples, and he's talking to the branches. There's a call for multiple branches to abide a call for the church and Christians to abide together. This command to love one another implies a community. If one is a branch connected to the vine, we have a unique relationship to them because of our abiding relationship to Jesus. So in this age, we need to reject a lone ranger Christianity because it's not Christianity. In this context, Jesus is talking to his disciples, so it's easiest to apply this to the context of the church. When one cuts himself off from the church, from the people of God, they are not destined to last that long. How many healthy one-branch vines have you seen in your life? (laughs) I have one in my backyard. It does not look good. (laughs) To abide in Jesus is to be a branch among branches. So one qualification, just like there is a true vine, there are also true churches. True churches are built on the gospel that's found in Scripture. And they seek to elevate the grace and the work of Jesus as the only way to life. False churches tell us that we're responsible for our salvation based on our own works and our own performance. So it's 
one, important that we find and define what a true and healthy church is to begin with. But one of the most annoying things to me about Christianity in the American landscape is how individualistic faith has been made. A consequence and result of individualistic faith is how we've made our involvement in the church a passive consumerism, seeking after glory and benefit of self, seeking after our own comfort, that we feel good there. But instead, we need to think about our involvement to the church as an act of laying down of our lives for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. The church is about God and our connection and relationship to one another. So there's a very relevant call for us as Christians to abide in a defecting post-Christian world. I don't mean this in a political sense, though there are certainly implications there. I mean this in a spiritual sense. It has become that the majority in the secular American context doesn't like the authority of Scripture. It doesn't like what it has to say about God, about sin, about self-worth. It doesn't like what it has to say about the differing roles of men and women, about gender and sexuality, and that babies are humans too. The claims of God and Scripture are exclusive. They are either true or they are not. And people are growing colder to the idea of an exclusive God. To some degree, we have already seen a slow leak and the departure of many from the church. And sadly, I think this may continue in greater form and number. Times are going to get hard, and abiding and remaining in Christ will no longer have any social currency or capital. It won't give us any advantage in the public sphere. So the call to abide in Jesus is just as as important as as ever. Though the world sees Jesus and the God of the Bible as exclusive, I think it's important that we also see him as the most inclusive God ever too. He invites all to come. He receives all who come in weakness, who come in humility. So we don't, we don't serve a, an exclusive, manipulative God. We actually serve a warm, inviting, welcoming God that says, if you believe, come, I receive you. So we see in verse 16, this idea uh, is put before us. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We can have confidence that Jesus is the one who has chosen and appointed his disciples, that they should bear fruit, and that their fruit should abide. So to what end has he appointed us? He's appointed the disciples, he's appointed us, that we should go and bear fruit. The Christian faith is an outward-moving one that seeks to love one another both in the context of the church, but also to go outside the church and to invite others to abide in Jesus as well, to proclaim the gospel to the nations and to our next-door neighbors. We lay down our life in a similar manner to Jesus that others would find joy in him and abide in his love. And this brings great glory to the Father 
And it's our marching orders until Jesus returns or we go to be with him. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we pursue this kind of fruitful, um, externally faced life where we love one another? Well, this comes to the third point, and this one is a quicker one here. Abiding in Jesus is only possible through dependent prayer. So abiding in Jesus is only possible through dependent prayer. So you'll see this stated in both verse 18 and verse 16, um, this, this idea to ask God and he will give us whatever we desire. And this is also found, if you want to look at it, in, in chapter f- uh, 14, verse 13 as well. Jesus keeps hitting this over and over again, so we should listen. Verse 8, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16, so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. As we abide in Christ, we are commanded, and this is imperative here as well, to ask God for help, to ask him for fruitfulness, for love, for joy, for willingness to obey and to lay down our lives for one another. And there is nothing that God would be more pleased than to answer these kinds of prayers. And again, this all assumes that we have a humble and willing heart subservient to the will of God, that we have been transformed and changed into his image so that we desire what God desires. So when it comes to bringing these prayers and depending on the Lord, do we come asking in his will for what is truly good for us? Do we truly desire joy and love as he's given it? Do we truly desire to keep the commandments as he's given, it to, given them to us? And trust that this will bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest joy. In part this life, but for sure in the life to come as well as we deny ourselves. So we must pray and ask God for these things knowing that he will give them to us. So this, this is where we want to conclude and, and think about what's at stake here. And again, the problem hasn't changed throughout all of history. All of history has been people, you know, God calling people back to him, himself and whether or not they're going to respond to that. And in our current context, we've, we've had some uh, assumed Christianity, assumed belief in God that, that's helped cover some of that. But now are the, these are the days where true faith is being shown and those who abide will be exposed <laughs> and, and, and blessed and flourish in that. But those who are in it for the wrong motivations will also be exposed and not abide. So th- this is a sorrowful time in that perhaps in the coming days we're going to see people from our own families walk away. We're going to see friends and family that we've gone to church walk away. But in this, the command still stands for all of us to continually abide and to trust Christ in this. And to know that as we labor in prayer for those that are around us, God does not promise that he will answer those prayers for those people in, specific, in every circumstance. But I do know that God loves to answer prayer when we ask him to work in people's lives. So do we, do we labor to that end? Do we depend on him and seek uh, his, his glory and trust that there's joy to be found in that for us and for those that receive him?
So as we go, let us remember to abide in Jesus and to know that that's what leads to our flourishing and joy, that it leads to obedience and laying down of one's life, um, but ultimately it, it leads to his glory and our joy as we depend, depend on him in prayer. So let me pray to that end. Jesus, we come to you, a, a weak and humble people that are prone to wander and prone to stray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is a rock. He is a rock of love that continues to stand there and receive all who come. Lord, we know that our world is changing and the call to faith is, is, is going to ramp up a bit here. Lord, we will not be able to stay as comfortable as perhaps many of us have been, as I have been. So Lord, would you draw us close? Help us to abide and trust you, Lord, um, that we would bear fruit and bring great glory to your name. So Lord, do that in each of us individually here, but Lord, do that in us as a church. Help us to be, Lord, that love and light to the world around us, enduring till the end, not swerving, Lord, from your way. So do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.